0: My name is simon luckhurst and this is biological poker the first season of ear movies this story is called soul searching i worked in the funeral industry for a few years it's inevitable that a few stories stuck i think there are two kinds of people who work in funerals there are those like me who kind of end up there accidentally because they need a job and some who have a real calling for it It really is a caring profession, with families needing all the support they can get at a really difficult time. There are other sides to it as well, of course. One is what happens behind the scenes. And I was fortunate that the people I worked with all showed the greatest respect for the deceased in their care. Another is that some people are in it to make money. That's undeniable. Australia's largest funeral company and cemetery owner is listed on the stock market. There's another side as well, however. This is the camaraderie that exists between those who work on the front line, so to speak, the people who share the war stories which undeniably inspire the laughs that help us get through to the next service. One of the things we had to do as funeral industry workers was to go to places at any time of the day or night and transfer a body into our care. I began to wonder, was there someone on the other side doing the same with the soul of the recently deceased? I was dating a woman back in the 80s when I first came across Tug Dumley. He's known for his poetry. For a while he was on Triple J as their resident Friday morning poet. The woman I was with had me shooting a bunch of comedy sketches, however, and he was in them. Man, he's underrated as an actor. He's a great performer, and I always wanted to do more with him. I knew he had the right voice for the character in this story, and he didn't disappoint me. This was recorded in COVID times. Ideally, when you work on a project like this, you're in the studio with the reader. In this series, I was only able to be there for two recordings. Tug is great. He didn't need me to direct. It might be a coincidence that his partner is Regina Botros, a radio producer herself, and possibly she informed some of his reading. I think it would have been great anyway, but having Jeannie there surely didn't hurt. I hope you enjoy Soul Searching.
1: soul-searching. Trevor Perkins had never planned to work in the funeral industry, but the job he'd taken until something better came along lasted more than two years. Working alongside Craig Nippler didn't help. Today was typical. They'd been watching mourners leaving the chapel when Nippler abruptly bent down next to an old lady coming down the hallway with a walking frame ''And how old are you, my little darling?'' he'd said, with his best cold smile. ''I'll be ninety-eight next month,'' she answered proudly. ''Hardly worthwhile you going home, is it?'' he replied. Nippler smirked as she adjusted her hearing aid and slowly shuffled away. ''Nippler's an arsehole,'' said Jimmy Zurak when Trevor told him later. ''There was one time we were lowering a coffin into a grave.'' when the widow came up and told Nippler her husband would have turned 85 that day. Bastard started singing, Happy Birthday. They both laughed. The war stories were one of the things that helped Trevor survive. While there was no doubt some blokes had a calling for this kind of work, for others, it was a kind of sewerage tank for guys in their 50s, like him, who'd been unexpectedly flushed into it by the god of sudden and unexpected unemployment. In his case, there'd been a restructure, and his team had been redeployed to other units, except there was no room for him in the new world order of a flattened management paradigm. He'd been offered a position back on the floor, or a VR. It was a no-brainer. He'd taken the redundancy, knowing he'd pick up something soon enough, and come out ahead for once in his life. Only thing was, he couldn't find work. It was a pain in the arse. He had the skills, experience and drive, but all he did was swirl around the S-bend of the system while twenty and thirty-year-olds got the jobs. He'd spent all the money and found himself at Centrelink for the first time since he was a kid. It was bloody demoralising. To top it off, his father died, They'd never been that close, and it turned out that instead of the lump sum Trevor and his brother had expected, they ended up owing ten grand. Sid being Sid meant that he washed his hands of the whole thing, so that Trevor had been forced to sell his car to pay the debt. This was the last straw for Glennis, who'd kicked Trevor out. It was during the funeral arrangements that Trevor had run into Jimmy, who he knew from the club. That's how he'd wound up in the industry. Although his world was falling apart, it was with a mixture of relief and trepidation that he'd arrived at work at 7am on his first day. He was greeted by Mr. Nippler, demanding to know the size of his waist, and shortly after was handed a pair of cheap suits, half a dozen white shirts, and a garish purple tie. The suit didn't fit well too tight in the waist, and the trousers too long. And then he was sent to wash the hearse. It was a long way from his old job of running a team of 20. Once he'd finished, Nippler was waiting for him. Trevor wondered whether he'd spent time in the army. His shirts were perfectly creased and immaculately tucked in. He was OCD neat. He could tie a Windsor knot in seconds. And... In the rare times Trevor saw it happen, when he raised his arms above his head, his perspiration marks were only ever the size of twenty-cent pieces, like his armpits had the ability to focus sweat. What we usually do with the new blokes is funerals first, then transfers, then the mortuary, then we'll see if you've got what it takes to be an arranger. How's that strike you? The first service he'd worked on was a man about his own age, named Johnny Maguire. He died after a long decline. Trevor saw anger in the faces of his soulmate and their children and guessed it must have been cancer. But as they drove to the crematorium in the hearse, Jimmy said it was suicide. Poor bastard lost his job and after a couple of years of two bottles of vodka a day, he hung himself. Stupid. I know. Who drinks vodka when you're going to have a nice refreshing lager? Or a few. In stark comparison to Nippler, Jimmy was decidedly dishevelled. His shirt was crumpled, his jacket old and his beard scruffy. Don't worry, you'll get used to it, he said. Look at me. Used to be a plumber. Now I'm an embalmer. Though actually, there are more similarities than you might think. Before Jimmy could say more, they arrived at the crematorium, which was in the grounds of the local cemetery. Nippler owns this as well as a funeral parlour. He makes more here than he does from funerals. Yeah? Bastards loaded. Don't you worry about that. Jimmy chatted with Dave at the crem, who signed the paperwork. Then he and Jimmy lifted the coffin onto a platform in front of the furnace, which was already running. Dave pressed a button. The door opened, and despite the thin curtain of water spray, Trevor could feel the heat. The coffin lurched forward and quickly gained enough momentum so that, when the carriage suddenly retracted, the coffin speared on inside. Flames instantly started spreading along its base as the door closed. They drove away in the empty hearse, and Jimmy sang, Another one bites the dust. They returned to the office where Trevor was met by Nippler. Is Jimmy looking after ya? Yeah, I think so. I haven't made any mistakes yet. Trevor knew he'd said the wrong thing as Nippler's thin smile instantly vanished. Listen, there's a thousand funerals in Australia today, but there's only one that matters to a mourning family. We have only one chance to get things right and we don't want any mistakes. Mistakes are talked about, which impacts badly on the bottom line, and we don't like that." Nippler strode off, and Trevor saw Jimmy roll his eyes. As the days went on, Jimmy slowly introduced Trevor to death. Preparing viewings was his first experience. Removing the lid of the coffin, draping the silk skirts along its sides, and ensuring that when the family appeared, there weren't any nasty little surprises. Like a maggot crawling out of someone's nose. <laughs> that pissed Nipler right off. Don't you worry about that. How did that happen? Trevor asked. Jimmy shrugged. Eh, a bloke can only do so much. I keep him out of the mortuary, but somewhere along the line, a blowie must have got in and laid its eggs. Poor family were horrified. "'Yeah, I can imagine. "'Nippler had to shell out a shitload to keep him happy. "'Nearly worth it to see that,' said Jimmy. "'A few weeks later, Trevor was moving coffins around at the back of the chapel. "'They were on trolleys and needed to be put in the correct order for the upcoming services. "'Death Tetris,' Jimmy called it. "'Just as he'd finished, Jimmy rang. "'I had to see a man about a horse, so I'm running late.' There's a bloke in the viewing room. You know what to do. Don't forget to light the candles. Oh, and his nose. What about his nose? But Jimmy's phone had cut off. Trevor saw the problem immediately. The nose had been flattened by the coffin lid. He rang Jimmy back. Just massage it straight. Trevor put on some latex gloves and gingerly began to stroke. Gradually, the nose began to look normal again. Then he became aware that someone was watching him. ''Nice job, mate,'' said a voice. He couldn't see anyone in the gloomy room. ''Where are you?'' he nervously asked. ''Over here, Trev,'' came the voice. Like a film slowly coming into focus, a figure materialised before him. ''Jesus, Gavin Broomhead!'' But I thought, yeah, came off at 150, splattered all over the road. But dead as a doornail. Right bloody mess. Trevor wasn't sure what to say. So what brings you here? He asked after a while. New job. Collecting souls. Souls? Not as easy as it sounds. Doesn't sound easy, mate. You seen the Harry Potter movies? You know, where they play Quidditch and they have to catch that golden snitch. I reckon they model the bastard on a soul. Here, look. Trevor turned, and sure enough, hovering over the body of the man whose nose he'd just straightened was a brightly glowing ball. Gavin swiped at it with a net and took a second shot when the soul dodged away. He swung again and finally bagged it. Third time lucky, he said grinning. Don't say anything about seeing me. They'll think you're bonkers. Hooroo. Before Trevor could say anything, Gavin was gone. You seem to be handling the services okay, Nippler told him the following Monday. I'm putting you on transfers. That'll mean you'll be spending more time with Jimmy. So, uh, try not to breathe in the fumes. The fumes? Nippler mimed a drinky-drinky action. When Jimmy arrived, his eyes were red-rimmed. He noticed Trevor inspecting him. All right. What's that arsehole Nippler been saying? Oh, not much, said Trevor. Yeah, well, he's a prize dickhead where are we off to? Trevor had an address on a bit of paper. Jimmy and his trusty van. You'll get used to transfers, son. Most of them are a piece of cake, now we don't have the contract. They were the good old days. One time, I was scraping this bloke's head off the road at 3am, and I remember thinking, I should be paid more for this. (laughs) Then there was this guy who fell asleep and died under the reading lamp. ended up cooking the side of his face. Trevor looked out the window. Jimmy talked a lot. Story after story. Some were funny. Some were frankly horrifying. So, after 15 years, they decided to move the body into the right grave so she could be near her mother. They used the excavator to expose the top of the coffin, then lowered me down in a hazmat suit, like a bloody tea bag. Trevor and Jimmy arrived at a nursing home and the sister in charge signed the forms and led them along a corridor lined with small rooms. They reached one with the name Mavis Reynolds on it. Do you want any help? the sister asked. Jimmy shook his head and wasted no time in the dim room, alone with Trevor and the still form of Mavis. Quick transfer is a good transfer, he said. He unzipped the body bag and laid it on the stretcher. They'd been wheeling. ''I'll grab the head. You get the feet,'' he said. Trevor put on his gloves and gingerly took hold of the old woman's feet. The skin on her calves was still warm. They dragged Mavis gently from the bed to the stretcher. Jimmy zipped her up and wrote her name in felt tip on the bag. Then he covered her with a blue cloth. ''The Velour of Doom.'' he muttered. He checked his paperwork. Shit. She's forgotten to sign for the valuables. Wait here. Jimmy left the room. Almost instantly, Gavin appeared. That was me Jimmy was talking about? The bloke whose head he was scraping up at 3am? He might have been annoyed, but it was no picnic for me either, I can tell you. Something occurred to Trevor. Listen, mate, Sorry I didn't make your funeral. <sighs> Don't worry about it, Trev. There's blokes I was closer to than you and never made it either. Suppose I'd pissed off too many people by then. I feel bad about it, to be honest. You never let me down, Trevor said. Yeah, I did. I didn't come and see you after you lost your job. That was pretty slack. Trevor turned to Mavis and saw a small, golden ball emerge from her chest. Gavin took one swipe and caught it. Some are easier than others. She has a husband waiting for her, so it's no surprise I got her so quick. Some are right bastards, though. Inside Gavin's net, the soul danced around, reminding Trevor of a firefly he'd once seen in Belagin. Both the soul and Gavin vanished as Jimmy returned. Two minutes later they slid the stretcher into the van and shut the back door. Another satisfied customer, Jimmy muttered. Back at the mortuary, they laid Mavis on one of the cold steel shelves in the fridge. The room smelled mainly of disinfectant, but a more unpleasant odour lingered beneath. Not much dignity and death, is there? Jimmy laughed. Ha! You try dressing some fat bastard, and you'll find all about bloody dignity then. Don't you worry about that. We did a run for the uni last month, where people donate their bodies so learner doctors can practice on them. They're embalmed, but they only last seven years, sometimes less. Every now and then they send a whole lot down to the creme. We had an oversized coffin and packed it full of heads. It Must have been. Fifty of the bastards. Try driving around with fifty heads in the back of your van. See how you feel about dignity then. The next day was a call to a caravan park at Terrigal. Nippler had the right idea setting up on the central coast, said Jimmy, as they drove near the water. With all the retirees? God's bloody waiting room. Don't you worry about that. Yep, Nippler knew he was onto a bloody gold mine when he set up here. They drove into the park. Trevor started looking for the number, but Jimmy told him not to bother. I'll find it, he said. I've got a nose for these things. When they rounded a corner and saw a caravan surrounded by half a dozen cars and a police van, Jimmy smiled. Easy peasy, he said. Jimmy chatted to the family and to the police, who were required to wait with the body until the funeral directors arrived. It seemed like no one wanted to be there. The man had been something of a loner. Jimmy went inside the van and came back out almost instantly. This is going to be fun, he whispered to Trevor. He grabbed some equipment and set up a stretcher, folded down to ground level near the caravan door. He suggested to the family that they might want to move away while the body was removed. The interior of the van was cramped and dirty. It smelled of cigarettes, stale beer, mould and bad food. A big man sat on the edge of the bed, leaning forward to pick up some medication from the floor. A long thread of slimy, bloody mucus dangled from his nose. Trevor fought the urge to chuck. The more he struggled to contain it, the harder it wanted to come up. You right? Jimmy asked. Trevor swallowed several times, and the urge gradually faded. "'You look a bit green round the gills, old son.' "'Here,' said Jimmy, handing Trevor a face mask. "'Put this on.' He rustled around in his bag. "'Damn,' he said, coming up empty-handed. "'Just gives a sec.' Jimmy left Trevor and went to the van. Gavin appeared instantly. "'Can you see it?' he asked.' Trevor peered around for the man's soul, but couldn't spot it. Then he saw something under a shelf in the kitchen area, something which seemed to glow brighter the more he looked at it. "'There!' he said, pointing. "'Bloody hell!' "'Well spotted, Trev,' said Gavin. He swatted a few times, but the soul kept dodging out of reach. Trevor had to duck once as it whizzed past his head. Gavin laughed. "'Won't hurt you, mate.' He took a big swing with his net, but once more came up empty-handed. "'It's the evil ones that are the hardest. "'I reckon they're trying to avoid something.' "'What happens after you catch them?' Trevor asked, but Gavin just chuckled. (laughs) "'Now that'd be telling.' Gavin was looking at Trevor, but also slowly sneaking towards the toilet door, where the soul sheltered, up near the roof, like a bloody cockroach, Trevor thought, Sometimes, Gavin said, you have to. He swung determinedly and nabbed the sole, which started thrashing around on the net. Gotcha, he said triumphantly. Yeah, sometimes you have to sneak up on the bastards. At the sound of Jimmy's footsteps, he promptly vanished. Jimmy entered the caravan and liberally squirted lemon scented spray. Trevor thought Gavin had an easier job than him and Jimmy. Right. We're going to put a bag on the bed, then we're going to lay him back. When he's in the bag, we're going to slide it onto the floor and out the door and onto the trolley. OK? Trevor stood on the man's bed and unzipped the bag, laying it out as best he could in the cramped space. He grabbed the man's shoulders and put his weight on them while Jimmy lifted his feet. Soon the man was on his back, with his legs in the air at a comical angle. Jimmy started to push them down. "'You've been in this business a long time, haven't you?' Trevor asked. Jimmy nodded. "'What do you reckon happens afterwards?' Jimmy shrugged. "'I reckon there's a million possibilities. All I know for sure is, one day, we're all going to find out.' They flattened the man out as much as possible, despite the cramped confines of the caravan. With Trevor still standing on the bed... Jimmy on the floor, they finally managed to zip up the bag, but as they dragged it onto the floor, it caught against the sharp side of the cupboard and ripped open, so Jimmy had to slide a second bag over the first and zip it up again. Like past the bloody parcel, he muttered. They dragged the body out the door and onto the stretcher, and quickly covered the lumpy shape with the velour of doom. Eventually, they got it into the van and shut the door. Trevor, his stomach still churning, smiled weakly. Trevor was scheduled to the service of Enid Hopkins and the first person he saw sitting on the back pew was Gavin. I'm going to wait near the hearse. She's been bloody hard to get. I'm going to get a jest when you put the coffin in. What if you don't? Gavin shrugged. I'm like a bloody Canadian Mountie, he said. I always get them. Well, nearly, he added mysteriously. You mean sometimes you don't? Gavin shook his head. There's one bloke been dead for over a year that I still haven't found. Don't know where he's got to. Wasn't near his body. Not in the cemetery. Not at his mum's place or where his wife and kids live. I can't find the bastard anywhere. Must be out there haunting somebody, is my guess. But it's on my bloody record. Can't tell you how much trouble it's got me into. But they don't understand. Who doesn't understand? Trevor wanted to know. Gavin smiled. Never you mind, he said. Trevor sat through the service listening to Mrs. Hopkins' daughter speak lovingly of her mother's frugal life and all the hardships she had endured during the Great Depression and the Second World War. I hope Mum's happy now, she said. She never talked much about the afterlife, but I remember her telling me once that she didn't care whether she went to heaven or hell, just as long as she was with the Methodists. The mourners laughed, but Gavin just sighed. Bloody Methodists, he whispered. Trevor led the coffin from the chapel, with the family carrying it. Nippler was at the door, ready to assist once they'd reached the hearse. Just as they were pushing in the coffin, Trevor caught movement in the corner of his eye. The soul was hiding in the flowers on top of the coffin, looking for all the world like a drunken butterfly. Trevor glanced towards Gavin and nodded, pointing with his chin. The mourners were all looking at the celebrant, who was saying some final words, so Trevor took a step back and Gavin's net flew down over the shiny golden orb. ''Gotcha!'' he said, winking at Trevor and then disappearing. Trevor and Gavin had more conversations over the coming months as Trevor arrived at places to pick up bodies and Gavin came to collect their souls. We're a team, Gavin said delightedly. Gavin even started coming over to Trevor's place on the weekends. It was like the old days, in many ways. Watching footy, chatting about their mates. Did you hear Rick Wilson died, said Trevor. I know, said Gavin. I saw him the other day. He was looking bad towards the end. Must have weighed a ton. No wonder his ticker gave out. Well, he's looking much better now, said Gavin. Trevor looked across. Why can't you tell me what it's like? You know, after you die. Look, I'd love to, Gavin said, but it's a sacking offence. And trust me, you don't want to get sacked up there. That I can't run down a missing soul's bad enough. But I've told you too much. Nope. Sorry, Trev. But Trevor thought to himself, imagine being the only living person to find out what happens in the great hereafter. If Gavin had one failing, it was a tendency to yap too much. When you died, there on the road, did someone come for your soul, the way that you do, said Trevor. I can't remember, One minute I was sliding along the road, thinking I was heading towards this blue gum much too quickly, and the next moment I'm standing in front of the allocator, who's asking me if I want to do this. Why do you think they chose you? I'm not sure, said Gavin. Only reason I can think is that I was pretty good in the slips when we played in the under-11s. Trevor smiled. Remember that catch you took to dismiss Derek Stace? He really belted it too. A bit of a mid-air juggle, but you made it stick. (laughs) Wasn't he pissed off? Yeah, I was okay in the field. Though I can't believe that's the only prerequisite. Trevor munched an apple while Gavin watched. His phone rang. It was Nippler, of course. It's a bit unusual, he said. Head to the hospital. This bloke's died on the golf course, and the doctor's prepared to sign a quickie death certificate so they don't want to hold him in their morgue. Jimmy's on his way to pick you up. Trevor looked over to Gavin. I know, he said. I've been contacted too. He was out by the 14th hole when he had a massive heart attack. Hmm, that's a bugger. Yeah, the way it dog legs to the left. And those two bunkers. I meant dying on a Saturday afternoon, playing golf. He's not the first, Gavin said. I'll see you at the ER. Jimmy picked up Trevor and they drove to the hospital. Once the family had left, Jimmy went to sort out the paperwork while Trevor waited with the body. He straightaway saw the man's soul hovering over his chest. Trevor pretended not to notice as he edged towards it. He wanted to surprise Gavin. He reached out, but the soul seemed to know his hand was coming because it flitted a little distance away. Trevor still trying to appear like he didn't know it was there, picked up a hospital towel. He made a show of cleaning up some fluid, and then pounced, catching the sole on the cloth. It was surprisingly heavy, fluttering around for all the world like a bird in a sack, a bird the size of a sparrow but the weight of an emu. It took all Trevor's effort to hang on to it. He desperately hoped that Gavin would get there before Jimmy returned. After a minute, Gavin appeared. ''Where the hell have you been?'' panted Trevor. ''Geez, mate, calm down. I was waiting near the morgue.'' ''Here,'' Trevor said. ''I got it for you.'' Gavin looked at Trevor deeply, and Trevor felt he was looking into his heart. ''What?'' Trevor asked, worried. ''Not many people can do what you've just done.'' It was pretty easy, Trevor said. I just snuck up behind it and... You can't just sneak up on a soul, said Gavin. It's not like they've got a front and back. They don't have eyes. When I reached out the first time, it seemed to know I was there. Did you touch it? Trevor shook his head. Good. Don't ever touch them with your hands. Would it kill you? No... But I just wouldn't advise it. Okay? Trevor handed over the towel, stuffed with the wriggling sole. Gavin grabbed it and vanished just as Jimmy returned. They dragged the body of the dead golfer onto the stretcher and zipped up the bag. He's still pretty warm, Trevor said. Must have been awful for him. Ha, <laughs> The fourteenth's a real bugger. Surprised it doesn't kill more, actually. Nippler should bloody sponsor it, said Jimmy. One afternoon, Trevor had come from the chapel to the mortuary. He found Jimmy showing a teenage girl around. Jimmy was explaining to the girl the process of bodies going into bags of them being put on the stainless steel tray to be washed and dressed and of how they were lifted by the hoist and lowered into the coffin so you'd see me without my clothes on the girl said not if you don't want said Jimmy i could organise a woman to to prep you the girl nodded if you wouldn't mind Jimmy led her out the back and sat down. ''Do you mind if I smoke?'' he asked. ''I'd mind if you didn't offer me one,'' she replied. ''But you're only...'' ''Oh shit, I guess it can't hurt,'' said Jimmy. Trevor saw Gavin waiting near the van and went over to him. ''Who's the girl?'' he asked. Leukemia, said Gavin. ''They can't stop it.'' She wanted to know what was going to happen to her. ''Oh, Jesus.'' would you look at that? Trevor looked across to the girl and saw her soul. It was brighter than they usually were. He was almost mesmerised by the colours that swirled and twisted as it flew around her. Is that because she's young, he asked, or not yet dead? Why does it look like that? The others I've seen look nice, but hers? Some are like that, that's all. Age doesn't matter, nor life status. It's just who they are. I reckon a saint, I mean a real, genuine, ridgy-didge saint, would have the best soul of all. I reckon you could watch them all day. They waited as Jimmy and the girl spoke. Are you going to catch it now? Trevor asked. Gavin shook his head. Not while she's still alive. A body without a soul isn't pretty, and it wouldn't be fair either. She's got so little time left anyway. You just wouldn't do it, mate. The girl left, and Trevor realised that Gavin had gone too. He saw Jimmy, wiping his eye. That was hard, said Jimmy. How do you tell a 13-year-old girl she's going to sit in a bag in the fridge for a few days before being taken to the creme? How did she take it? She said knowing what's going to happen is helping her come to terms with dying, it's part of the process. Jimmy lit another cigarette. She's a beautiful soul, he said. They were called out at three o'clock the next morning and he picked up Jimmy on the way. He staggered as he walked to the van. You been drinking, he asked. Jimmy looked up through thick-lidded eyes. I may have had one or two refreshing sherbets, he said, and I may have had one or two more after that. And then hit it slightly harder than I meant. Might be better if you do the talking, he added. "Geez, mate. I'll be fine once we get there. Years of practice, he added, his eyes twinkling. Bloody good night, actually. How many did you have? Not more than four, surely. Jimmy looked across at him. Four? I spill more than four. He laughed. Jimmy told a few stories until they arrived at their destination. There was the usual group of cars parked out the front, a sure sign of a family gathering for the final act of their personal drama. They knocked and were met by the son-in-law. They were led up a steep winding staircase. Trevor thought that for a big house it was a bit unnecessary having such a narrow one he saw that the job of removing the deceased would be all the more difficult because they'd had a stair-climbing chair installed as well. we put it in so Dad could get to the lounge room more easily, the son-in-law explained. Bloody hell, muttered Jimmy. Trevor was left alone in the room while Jimmy went back to the van. Gavin appeared instantly. Geez, will you look at this one? The man's soul was zipping around the room like a demented pinball. There was a soft knock on the door. The soul shot up to a corner of the ceiling and Gavin vanished. It was the son-in-law. ''Everything okay?'' he asked. ''I thought I heard voices.'' ''No, just talking to myself,'' said Trevor. The son-in-law sighed. ''Poor old fella. He didn't want to go. Doctor said he wouldn't make it through the night.'' But that was Wednesday. We were with him the whole time. He'd lie there with his eyes closed, then open them and look around at us. What do I do? He'd say. Just relax, we'd tell him. Then he'd drift off and we'd think, surely that's it. He's gone now. But then he'd suddenly sit up gasping for breath, like he'd been drowning, you know? Took him all this time to go. Jimmy returned and the son-in-law left the room. As they put the man in the bag, Trevor could see Gavin frantically lunging after the soul, swatting furiously and repeatedly missing. At one point, his net connected with a vase of flowers, and he dived heroically and managed to catch them and put them back on their stand without Jimmy noticing. Eventually, Jimmy and Trevor were ready to leave. Jimmy had brought in the stretcher they had to carry, rather than the one with wheels. Otherwise, we'd never get the bastard down the stairs, he muttered. Jimmy insisted on the head end, which was heavier, which meant Trevor had to go backwards. Because of the angle of the turn at the top, and because of the rail for the stair-climbing chair, and because Trevor was already six or seven stairs towards the floor, Jimmy had to lift his end of the stretcher up over his head. The angle was tricky. "'Geez, mate, are you okay?' he asked Jimmy. Jimmy's face was beet red as he strained for breath. "'I'm fine,' he panted. "'Really, I'm okay. Just keep going.' Finally they reached the bottom and laid the stretcher on the ground. Jimmy leaned against the balustrade, breathing heavily. "'Just give me a sec,' he said. "'Actually, better give me a few.' A couple of minutes later, the family came out, and Trevor saw Jimmy struggle to appear normal as he again lifted up the stretcher at the top of the stairs, still swinging wildly. Trevor could see Gavin still failing miserably to catch the soul. Once they'd driven away in the van, Jimmy coughed loudly for a minute or so. Pull up round the corner, he said. Trevor stopped while Jimmy got out and dry retched. Jesus, he said. Jesus! He straightened up and pulled out a pack of cigarettes, lit one, and inhaled deeply. Ah, mother's milk, he said. You're a very troubled individual, said Trevor. Thanks, grunted Jimmy. It's good you've noticed. Jimmy coughed again, then got back in the van. Trevor looked at him and thought of how he'd struggled down the stairs. It's funny, Trevor said. To be honest... I never had much respect for people who work in this industry when I started. But having watched you in action, all the stuff you got to do, I reckon I've raised my opinion of you. Don't get me wrong. I reckon Nippler overcharges and has a heart like a rock. But I've seen how much care you take, mate. Course I care, said Jimmy. The soul might have gone. But we're dealing with the mortal remains of people who are loved. It's important to do the right thing. Jimmy gave another violent cough. I just hope someone does the same for me when the time comes, he said smiling. The beginning of the end of Trevor's time in the funeral industry came not long after, despite feeling he was starting to make a contribution to the well-being of the recently bereaved. His undoing was the Smolak family. Though things had started well enough, Trevor had once done some work for their father's company and that made the elder son, Boris, respond warmly towards him. Trevor arrived at the house to plan the funeral and face the grieving widow, a daughter and two sons, although the younger one, Steve, appeared to have been drinking. The arrangements were going smoothly until the question of flowers came up. "'I'm presuming you want a coffin cover,' Trevor said. "'We have an excellent florist. "'Did your father have a favourite colour, perhaps?' "'Dad hated flowers. "'He grew vegetables,' Boris said. "'Some people actually make a wreath out of vegetables.' "'Yeah, well, we're not bloody doing that,' Steve replied. "'He liked daisies,' the daughter suggested quietly, glancing at Steve. "'He hated daisies,' said Steve.' What do you think, Mum? Boris asked. I don't care, she said. Jesus, Mum, make a decision, will you? Steve said. The mother remained quiet. You decide then, Angie, said Steve. You want daisies? Roses, maybe? It doesn't matter what I want. You'll just override me, Angie told him. I'm asking you now, aren't I? Angie stayed silent. Boris? Boris said nothing. For God's sake!" shouted Steve. "Can't anyone in this family make a bloody decision?" "We can come back to it," suggested Trevor. "No!" Steve shouted. "We're going to decide this now." The others looked at Trevor and then to Boris. "I'm sorry, mate," Boris said to Trevor. "Steve and Dad were very close. He's just trying to move things along." The mood in the room was tense. Steve opened a bottle of clear spirit. And poured himself a generous shot. Maybe we should finish the whole arrangement another time, Trevor suggested. I mean, we've organised the church, the viewing, and the priest. We know the day. We can iron out the finer details tomorrow. What do you think? The family at the table looked at each other and then to Steve, standing by the window. No, I don't give a rat's ass," said Steve. You can work it out yourselves. With that. He strode from the room. The arrangement wasn't finalised until Trevor took some calls from Boris in the following days. The morning after everything was finished, he arrived at work to be greeted by Jimmy. Come on, said Jimmy. There's something I've got to show you. They drove to the hospital. As soon as he saw Jimmy, a broad smile crossed the morgue attendant's face. They walked into the storage unit and Jimmy pointed to a body bag in the end section take a look at the size of that. It was huge. Apparently took the contractor to six blokes, with the help of the cops and ambos, to get it out of the house. He's 280 kilos, the orderly added. Trevor looked at it. What size coffin will he need? He asked eventually. Jimmy snickered. There's no coffin that size. It's a custom job. Jimmy measured the corpse's height and width. As he did so, Trevor saw Gavin swatting away with his net. He must have been a bloody evil one, this one, sighed Gavin. He really doesn't want to go. Trevor saw the soul darting about, high above the storage racks. He thought it might have been bigger, given the size of the body it belonged to, but it looked to be about the same size as all the others. He turned back to Jimmy, who was making note of the dimensions. Bet bloody Gavin's having fun with this one, Jimmy snickered. Trevor was stunned. You know Gavin? Course I know Gavin. And I knew Sarah before him, and Guido before her. I've been in this game a long time, mate. How come you've never spoken to him? Jimmy sighed. He reckoned I did a bad job when I prepped him. I did a bloody great job. Problem was, A... It would scraped his head along the highway at a hundred bloody miles an hour and it had come right off, and B, his mother asked me to shave his beard. I tried to talk her out of it. He'd had it for twenty years, but she'd never liked it and wanted to see her son's face again. She was paying, so I had no choice. I did the best with what I was given. But when Gavin got the soul run, he made his feelings about me very clear. Behind them, Gavin took an enormous swing and nearly fell from the side of the rack. Silly dickhead, Jimmy said. Dumb arsehole, Gavin muttered back. Trevor's first job, when he returned to the office, was to call the coffin maker. Once they gave him the expected dimensions, he called the cemetery to tell them what size hole to dig. Dave whistled when he heard. That's just shy of a double grave. Nippler and Jimmy discussed the logistics of the coffining and eventually decided to take the hearse direct to the morgue and place Mr Smolak in the coffin there. Nippler, Jimmy, Trevor and a small army of casuals duly arrived at the hospital the day before the funeral service. Jimmy surveyed the massive body. "'Welcome to Jimmy's gym,' he muttered. Even with all of Jimmy's years of experience dressing bodies, Mr Smolak was a challenge. They rolled his elephantine, silent, unhelpful form, this way and that, as they put on first one trouser leg, then another. They slid his trousers up over one giant buttock at a time. Jimmy was sweating profusely as they fastened his belt. The shirt was just as hard. Jimmy didn't even try with the jacket, but found some scissors and sliced it straight up the back leaving only the back of the neck intact. Once it was in position, no one could tell it had been cut. The coffin was set on wheels, but the hospital hoist wasn't up to lifting the body high enough. They contemplated placing the coffin on the floor, but no one felt confident to lift it, with 280 kilos on board. Trevor stepped back from the discussion of how they should proceed to chat to Gavin. He looked pretty done in. Mate... ''I'm knackered,'' he said. ''I can't get near the bloody soul. It's really pissing me off.'' He looked dishevelled and tired. ''Not unlike Jimmy, in fact. Someone mentioned they knew of a lower trolley, so an orderly went in search of it.'' ''I've got an idea,'' said Trevor. ''When I give you the nod, chase the soul towards me, okay? And be ready.'' Gavin nodded. ''I'll try anything, mate.'' Twenty minutes later, they were ready to lift again. With the coffin on the lower trolley, the hoist was able to lift Mr Smolak just high enough. Then, as he was being lowered inside, Trevor stepped forward, giving Gavin a nod. Gavin ran behind the sole and herded it towards the coffin. At just the right moment, Trevor lifted the enormous lid, which slid up before the sole like a wall. The sole ricocheted off, straight, into Gavin's waiting net. Trevor dreaded the viewing that night in the chapel, fearful of how Steve would react to his late father in the coffin. But it was Boris who arrived very drunk and started loudly wailing. Trevor eventually eased him outside and left the rest of the family in peace while he talked to him quietly, calming Boris down. After the viewing, Trevor and Jimmy were left alone with the enormous coffin It looked like a wardrobe on its side. It won't fit in the fridge, Trevor said. Just turn the aircon up full, Jimmy told him. It'll be right. (music) Despite the size of the coffin the service at the local Catholic church went smoothly enough and Trevor was feeling he was on the home stretch when disaster struck. A storm, which had been threatening all morning, dumped a torrential downpour on the long cortege as it snaked towards the cemetery. A worried Trevor glanced at Jimmy as they approached the gates but then the rain stopped. Indeed, a bright rainbow even pierced the black clouds. Although the mourners loved the symbolism, Trevor knew the ground underfoot would be soggy as porridge. They manoeuvred Mr Smolak down the slope with the help of a dozen family members. The priest said a few words and sprinkled holy water onto the already soaked grave. And then Trevor pressed the switch on the coffin-lowering device. After the coffin had descended about 30 centimetres, something became horribly apparent. The hole wasn't wide enough. Trevor, Jimmy and the cemetery staff subtly tried to swing it from side to side to see if it would go down any further, but it refused to budge. While trying to look like they were making no effort, they placed more and more weight on it. But still, it sat there. It's the handles, whispered Dave. If we could just get rid of the handles. They're screwed on from the inside hissed Jimmy. He'd have to knock him off. With the mourners standing there and the recent rain, the area around the coffin quickly became as muddy as the Somme. Mourners were muttering. Cemetery staff were looking concerned and all eyes kept turning to Trevor. It wasn't me, was it? Trevor whispered to Dave. Dave shrugged. We dug it to the dimensions on the booking sheet, he said, but I copied them off the ones from the manufacturer. Well, someone's had a royal stuff up, mate, or it would have gone down. Jimmy spoke to the priest, who led the mourners away, while Trevor, Jimmy and the cemetery staff raised the coffin and slid it back onto the trolley. A backhoe came over, further churning up the ground as the hole was widened. Nippler's not gonna be happy, Dave said. Jimmy shook his head. Ah, He's a tosser. Don't you worry about it, Jimmy told Trevor. A phone call from the cemetery revealed that Trevor had sent down the interior dimensions of the coffin, not the exterior ones. This discrepancy was all it had taken for the grave to be too narrow. I don't understand, said Trevor. I was positive I put the exterior size. I thought I'd double-checked. Nippler was steaming. He refunded half of the funeral cost and wanted Trevor's scalp on the spot. Jimmy talked him out of it, and in the end, Trevor got two weeks' notice. A fortnight later, he was on his last transfer. "'Don't know what I'm going to do,' he told Jimmy. "'It took me over a year to find this job.' "'You could try another funeral director,' Jimmy said, "'although by now most of them would have heard about Mr Smolak.' Jimmy smiled as he pulled the transfer van into the Sunny Ridge loading bay. But hey, you lasted longer than I thought you would. Have a chat to Gav while I sort out the paperwork. Gavin had been paying out on him ever since the debacle. Classic, he laughed. What a stuff up. You were lucky Steve didn't deck you. Family was pretty good in the end, Trevor said. I think Boris and I had actually bonded by then. What's she going to do now? Dunno, said Trevor. Actually, I'm a bit worried. Jimmy returned. Gavin? Jimmy? The three of them went inside, and they collected the body quickly. Gavin took the sole first go and vanished, leaving Jimmy and Trevor to return to the van. It was a standard hit-and-run nursing home transfer, except for one thing. Jimmy had left his favourite pen behind, and asked Trevor to run back in to get it. Once there, Trevor noticed a soul hovering over a bed. Somehow he knew it was the one Gavin had been after for so long. The ward was quiet, and the duty nurse had long since lost interest in him. He grabbed the soul with his bare hands. It was cold at first, then it quickly grew warm, almost too hot to hold, But then it became like ice again. It pulsated in his grip as it struggled to get away from him. It was alarmingly powerful for its size. It took all Trevor's strength to hang on to it. Then, as he stood there, he somehow felt the presence of cave paintings, the exterior of a medieval castle, a primitive farm, a sailing boat, an invading Chinese army. Then there were things even stranger. Maybe a spaceship, a distant planet, different life forms entirely. He couldn't actually see these things, but somehow knew they were there. And then he became aware of a presence, the soul of another person. The feeling grew stronger and stronger. It was the most beautiful thing he'd ever known. He was falling in love with it. He was in love with it deeply and completely in love. He had impressions of riverbanks in the sun, of bedrooms, of laughter, shared joys and pains. Whole rich lifetimes lived together. He felt himself being drawn away to somewhere he knew he shouldn't go. His heart was leading him towards bliss, even as his head forced his hand down and put the soul in his pocket. The feelings lingered like waking from a strong dream as he walked in a trance back to the van. What took you so long? Jimmy grumbled. There's beers waiting to be drunk. Trevor said nothing. The soul wriggled like a ferret against his leg, struggling to escape. He felt sure Jimmy would notice. But even though it seemed to be flinging itself from one side of his leg to the other, and threatening to tear through his trousers, when he looked down, he could see no sign of movement. ''You right, mate?'' said Jimmy. Trevor just nodded. ''Look like you've seen a ghost, and I know what that's like. Don't you bloody worry about that.'' Trevor wondered how he could contact Gavin so he could give him the sole, which he'd tied in an old pillowcase, but Gavin appeared later that afternoon. ''Oh, this is awesome, mate!'' Bloody awesome. You don't know what you've done for me. This is great. Didn't you look in Sunny Ridge? Trevor asked. Why would I look there? That's not where he died. He wasn't around his wife or kids. He could have been anywhere. Who was he near? I didn't see the bloke's name. A man. I wonder who it was. Maybe a secret lover. Maybe a best friend or an old army comrade. Who knows? Whoever it was, it must have been his true soulmate. Does that mean I've torn them apart forever? Trevor asked, concerned. Gavin shook his head. Not at all. True soulmates will always find each other. He should have trusted that, and not tried to hang around. It'll be fine. Everything's back where it should be. Cosmic order restored. Hunky-dory. Except I don't have a job, Trevor said. I wouldn't worry too much about that, said Gavin. Not now. And judging by this little effort, not in the afterlife either. Only a couple of hours later, as he prepared to leave the funeral home for the last time, just as he was dreading applying for benefits and wading through job sites and the feelings of rejection that would come each time he failed to find work, the phone rang. Boris Smolak here? Trevor's heart fell but then rebounded as Boris spoke on. I'll get to the point, mate. Now Dad's gone, we need someone to manage the company. Me and Steve are good workers, but useless at running things. Angie would be great, but she's not interested. Something tells me you'd be the right bloke. Are you keen to have a crack? Trevor gulped. I reckon I am, he said. I mean, I know Smolak Industries pretty well from when I was a rep... I think I'd be pretty bloody good for you, actually, if you want to know the truth. He entered the call and was surprised to see Gavin standing there. Just wanted to say goodbye, mate, he said. Our paths aren't going to cross again, at least not for a long time. Well, in one way I'm glad of that. Yeah. I got a job. I know. How do you reckon that happened? Gavin asked. Maybe you've got friends in high places. Trevor smiled, and then Gavin was gone. He looked at his phone, which he knew wouldn't ring anymore for any middle-of-the-night transfers. Nippler gave him a gruff farewell, and then he went up to the car park, where Jimmy was happily chain-smoking. Go on, piss off then, he said to Trevor. Trevor shook his hand. It's been interesting, mate, Jimmy smiled. You know... We fished this bloke out of the harbour one night. He'd been drowned a couple of days before. We hauled him up and this cop says to me, what do we do with him now? I say, what do you reckon? Let's just throw him back in and set him again. They laughed. You're a very sick individual, Trevor said. I feel sorry for the new bloke. All these bloody stories he's going to have to listen to. Jimmy snorted. Happy to have a beer with you any time, Trev, but eh, hey, I don't want to see you in a professional capacity. No, I'm good with that mate, said Trevor, and he got in his car and drove away.
0: That was Tug Dumbly reading Soul Searching. Please like Ear Movies or rate it or whatever your podcast platform has set up to say you've enjoyed it, or even just tell your friends. And come back for more of Biological Poker, season one of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Luckhurst. Thanks for listening. <laughs>